taking the moment to be self-aware, to self-regulate, and then to think, what is the best thing I can do now? There's almost always something, even if it's deciding that you have to wait until a better opportunity. We are rarely powerless. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an extraordinary guest for today's episode. Liz Kislick is a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and Entrepreneur. She consults for clients such as American Express, Orvis, the Girl Scouts, Comcast, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and Highlights for Children. Her specialty is developing high-performing leaders and workforces. She's taught at Hofstra University and the New York University. Her TED Talk, Why There's So Much Conflict at Work and What You Can Do to Fix It, has been viewed over 135,000 times. There's so much more about Liz, and I can't wait to share her with you. Liz, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks, Dr. Richard. I'm happy to be here. So there's there's a lot that I really am excited to explore with you, particularly about conflict at work and dealing with difficult people. I'm curious, how did you get into that in terms of having a subspecialty and focus? I have to say it was actually accidental. Probably some of it comes from being the eldest in the family and therefore having responsibility for everybody else. But I've always wanted to make things work better. And since conflict is a part of life, if you want things to work better, really work better, you have to deal with it at some point. And most people either kind of hit and run or avoid it. And it's better to just choose to deal with it and to go forward and That has worked, I think, through the variety of kinds of things that I've done in my career. So I I want to really spend some time here and and focus on this. And and you gave us a very nice, you know, analogy of dealing with it heads on or not. But in a conflict, we're naturally, it's it's interesting, right? As human beings, we are naturally wired to do, have that attack and avoidance response and people are a little different about how they how they go about it but i wonder if you could talk to us about how conflict at work the conflict itself has evolved or changed according to the research you've done in the last say decade or so that's such an interesting question i've never thought about it in that way so at a base level it's not that different humans are still humans right and the majority will avoid rather than go toward. Uh, And people are not particularly skilled at how to have a conflict when they have it. The thing that's different in the last 10 years is, of course, we're dealing with different channels of communication. 
And so you can now have a conflict in different places and in different ways, ranging from the email portion to the texting portion where it's much harder to tell tone and what's going on, hard enough in email. And then in social media, I do not ever recommend having any kind of conflict there, but there sure is a lot of it. And that kind of quick hit mentality, I think lends itself to the sort of dump and run approach in a way that is not healthy and not effective. It's interesting because what you're describing is also supported in the the literature regarding social media and the impact that it has on personality functioning. And that what you're mm-hmm. seeing is that there's these different ways of people, you can't escape it. You know, you, you have this information cycle, whatever that information is, be it conflictual or be it news, whatever it is, we've conditioned ourselves to have that be a part of our day. So there's no longer an eight to five work day where you do your thing, you've got a, a toxic relationship with an a customer, a coworker, a supervisor, it follows us now consistently. That's really true. I think when you have control over the environment, the best thing to do is to get it out of the more tricky realms and to offer right away to request that we take this discussion to some other mode. If it's your supervisor, Let's handle it the next morning when you come in, if you can at all do that. If it's a customer, let's go to a phone call. You may still have to do it quickly, but go to the mode that is the closest to being in person, is what I would say. It makes complete sense. And I'm thinking about something else as well as we've been spending a bit of time talking about the technology piece of this. What have you seen, if any, in terms of differences, the way the different generations are handling conflict, the boomers versus the millennials versus the Gen Xers? So I'd like to be a little contrarian about this because I don't look at the workforce in that way. I think we're mostly the same. We just have different amounts of experience. And that's experience both living in the first place and being at work, and then also with the tools. There's a whole thing now about whether you have a period at the end of your sentence in a text. Do you know about this? Share this with us. This is interesting. So apparently, for uh, what we might call Gen Z, for the youngest people coming into the workforce just now, if you have a period at the end of your text, it looks like you're being too formal and therefore you must be mad. And it is likely to feel more like a fight or an argument of some kind. The expectation is that this is all casual. And so you wouldn't have so much punctuation. So I have actually been trying to leave periods off my texts, which is, you know, funny and and kind of hard. But that casualness also lends itself to the extremes of avoidance or dump and run. As if you could handle a complex situation in just a few words without punctuation 
And I just think it's, it's risky for everybody. You have to know your correspondent really well. Otherwise, if it's a serious subject, again, I would get it to as close to face-to-face as you can. You, you've blown my mind with, with the punctuation thing and the text thing. It's <laughs> something I'd never heard of, but it oh, also yeah. made me think of something else because as you're talking about that there's a, an expected informality associated with that, it, it also, and, and comment on this, because does, does that not in and of itself lend itself to more permeable boundaries in terms of workplace, which can cause a, a greater degree of conflict, I would think? So it certainly creates confusion because, in fact, work is this weird mix of formal, semi-formal, and informal anyway. But if you transgress a boundary, usually unknowingly, you end up in the wrong place. You know, you can really distress somebody, create hard feelings, that sort of thing. So to your point about creating more conflict, yes, that's certainly possible and kind of unfortunate because unlike people who complain about millennials and Everybody is terrific so long as they understand what's going on, have the context to operate out of their own knowledge well, and if everybody treats everybody else with compassion. It's not, I should say, it doesn't have to be so hard, no matter who you're talking about. So we mess it up for ourselves more than not, I think. Hey, guys. Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. I think that's probably right on the money. And I'm thinking about something else. And this is something that I've touched on with a number of guests on other episodes, is that because of what's happened with social media and, and we're in this world of almost confirmation bias on steroids, particularly in the realm of politics. And yeah. I'm not, in a, as you know, I, I never get into politics on the show, but what, what is evident, particularly after the last election cycle, the last presidential election cycle, is that people on either side are much more dogged in terms of you know, not being willing to hear somebody else's opinion on the other side. And to the degree, it was really fascinating. I know that there there were large number, large numbers of people who were unfriending and unfollowing each other and blocking each other on social media because one endorsed candidate X and the other supported candidate Y. So, I want to just ask: Are you seeing that play a role in workplace conflict as well? That's interesting, in the sense that what you're calling confirmation bias, I may turn the dial up just a little bit more and talk about echo chamber, you can get that at work. But you could get that at work pre-computer at the water cooler. 
because if you only surround yourself with like-minded people who have the same biases that you do, then you are only confirming, emphasizing, making stronger whatever's already in your head, or you're taking what they all agree with and putting your lot in with them. I'm reminded of many years ago, I had three colleagues, this is really many years ago, before I was consulting, and they called themselves the bad attitude kids. And they weren't really so bad, but they did have a little process of reinforcing for each other why management was always stupid or in the wrong or shouldn't be attended to and why they were right, in effect, to do the equivalent of folding their arms and thinking they were smarter and didn't really have to play. And that's a great way to get yourself excluded, in fact. The problem with too much tribal culture or any kind of one-sided view is that other people don't have to really reckon with you anymore. You've taken yourself out of the game. The way to play is to be open to what else is going on and to be curious about it and go looking for it. You don't necessarily have to change your mind, but it seems to me that you really want to know what other people think so then you can do the smartest thing possible. Makes sense. And it makes perfect sense. And I, I'm, I want to take a moment and dive a little deeper into the, your TEDx talk. And we're, you know, for those of you behind the wheel or at the gym, we'll have a link to Liz's TEDx talk in, in the show notes for this episode. But take us through what, what was the impetus for wanting to have it and some of the high points that people can use in the workplace to, to assist themselves. Uh, the impetus for wanting to have it was I didn't really have that impetus. It's that a colleague of mine had been asked, invited to speak at this particular TEDx, and she was already booked for something too close. So she referred me, and it's not the kind of thing you turn down, you know? It's just a wonderful opportunity. So then I had to think about what was something that could really be a message? And because I deal so much through the years with conflict, and because people are so avoidant, it seemed like it would be useful to help create a kind of roadmap to get through some of it, or at least to not think of it as bloody pitched battle all the time, but as something that you could actually address. So it's an Really interesting that guy. It wasn't even on your radar. It was an unexpected set of circumstances. So I, I think we've probably touched on at a high level, certainly a couple of the of the points from your your TEDx. But take us through it. And it, obviously, we love tangible things that people can walk away with. Yeah. And I'm certainly never going to put, as I said, a period at the end of my texts ever again, uh, unless it's to somebody I know really well. But take us through some things that people can utilize, whether it's with a coworker, whether it's in their own business, even customers, just things to mm -hmm. really manage conflict. So the first thing I want to say is contextual, and that is that conflict in business is actually part of your job. If something is going wrong between you and a colleague or between your work group and another work group, 
it's your job to get to the bottom of it and figure out how to work through it. It's irresponsible to just avoid it, but it's also irresponsible to just issue edicts or threats or to stand your ground without finding out what's going on. Because the whole point of having a responsible job is helping the organization do as well as possible. It's not just about you. There's a whole mission you're supposed to be serving, you know? So this is just part of it and you have to deal with it the same way you have to deal with the administrative matters. I don't know if you have this issue that pile up on your desk and you'd really rather not. But from time to time, you got to dig in there. So I want to make a first point, And this is particularly true for anybody in your audience who is already a business leader of any kind. Because in the workplace, we don't have to keep every employee if they have shown through their behavior that they are either incompetent and don't respond to training and development, or if they actually have bad behavior and aren't willing to change. In those two cases, they're damaging to the organization and you have to do the appropriate steps kindly and legally to help them find something where they can be more comfortable and do better because they're not working out for you. And that may sound harsh. And that's why I talk about the appropriate steps. So you provide training and development if that's the issue, or you provide coaching and counseling if that's the issue. But if somebody says, I'm not willing to do that and sticks to that, they're violating the implied contract in taking the money from the business. So business is the only place where we can show somebody the door if they really are the wrong person. And so I, I want to make that point very strongly because sometimes we feel guilty that an employee didn't work out, particularly if we know we did something wrong in the process supervising them or they didn't get something they needed or they had a bad boss before they got to us. And in those cases, pay them a hefty severance, give them a fair reference, be as helpful as you can. But in the meantime, don't let them destroy your business. So that's a really important thing. That's mostly encouragement, I think, for anybody who has to deal with it. Okay, so you've got to get to the root of what the problem is. And that means being curious and asking a lot of curious questions. Because most people who perceive themselves as being in conflict are thinking about the conversation or meeting they didn't like with the person that they're upset with. They're not thinking about why is it that way other than to say, oh, Joe's a bad guy or Joe's always annoying or Joe never delivers. They think about it in terms of personality or style or communication that has to do with the person that they are embodying this problem in. More often than not, it is not the person. They may have terrible style. They may be a bad communicator. But the majority of problems that happen at work 
are not actually about the people. They're structural and about the ways we've set something up or set the people up. And if we can identify what those problems are, then we can teach the people new ways of responding or speaking or behaving. And the conflict goes away. As I'm listening to this, I'm thinking that everything you're saying intuitively makes sense. But a lot of people might be wondering, you know, this is not something that I have expertise in. How do I, how do, I do that? How do I identify and ask those questions? Where do I start with that? So if you're somebody who feels you don't have expertise in it, you can think of yourself almost like an oral historian. You know, if you were going to interview your grandparent about their life, you would start in a kind of open-minded way and you'd ask them a lot of questions about what happened and why did they do that? Same kind of premise. The thing is to ask, how did we get to this place? And to look for the historical events, the directives that were handed down from above, even market events that may have set up the situation in a way that people tried to get through it, but may not have figured out the best solution, as opposed to holding the individual responsible for every terrible thing that you feel has happened on this subject in the last you know, five years. Assume that the person is not the problem. The problem is the problem. That's a very refreshing way of looking at it. It's hard. It's not easy to do because we don't take offense to a situation. We take offense to what somebody said to us or Mm -hmm. asked of us, how they behaved to us. And you have to, in the study of emotional intelligence, there are two big components. One is to be self-aware so you know how you're reacting. Oh, I took that as an affront. I feel my stomach turning over and my mind is racing and I feel my pulse. This is how I'm reacting. That's self-awareness. And the other is to have the ability to self-regulate. And that's to say, no one's coming at me with a weapon. This is challenging, but the world is not coming to an end. Let me stay calm and think about what the best thing is to do. And that way, you maintain a kind of composure and equanimity that, first of all, makes it harder for the other person to take shots at you. It's actually often a useful defense, but it lets you stay thoughtful instead of reactive so that as you ask questions and see what your opponent is answering and what they are thinking, you can ask smarter questions as opposed to triggering questions. A question like, well, why did you do that stupid thing? That's a triggering question. Not good. (laughs) But if you say, could you tell me about how you came to decide that your team should do A instead of B. It would be helpful to me to understand that. That's much less triggering and it depersonalizes it. It's interesting you said a term equanimity because as you were talking about emotional intelligence, I was thinking about 
mindfulness as you were describing those things. And I know that's equanimity is a big part of, of mindfulness. So Absolutely. Uh, I, I loved hearing you share that. So the, these are all great tangible strategies and, and make a lot of sense. I, I wonder if you could spend a couple moments talking about resolving conflicts in, in a group setting versus resolving them one-on-one with individuals. It's both harder and easier. It's harder because we all worry. I mean, most of us don't like to get into conflict because we don't want to be the bad guy. We don't want to say something that would hurt another person. We don't want to appear to be on the attack. Most of us want to be the good guy. That's tricky in a group setting we get afraid to bring something up that might look like we're picking on somebody uh, or putting them on the hot seat. And also, we don't want to run the risk of being wrong in front of a lot of people. So it can be very hard. And in a group setting, I think it's particularly important to make sure you have some evidence to use as part of your discussion. And the evidence would be about the thing that you feel has gone wrong. And you need to be able to say why this seems like something is wrong to you and what the impacts are, what the negative impacts are on the organization, what the positive impacts could be if we change the situation, that kind of thing. So that, again, you're talking about the business situation as opposed to the people. That's the first big kind of blanket thing. A second thing is to ask permission. I'd like to ask you about X. Would that be okay? May I raise the subject of this hard thing we were talking about on Tuesday? I feel like we didn't quite resolve it. And I know it's uncomfortable, but I'm hoping we can take another look at it. Positioning in ways that say you're not going after somebody and that you are looking for their voluntary participation. One-on-one, it's actually useful to say those things too, but you can often shortcut them and be less formal about them. Is it okay if we go back to X? But it's always good to ask permission. Maybe now's not a great time. Maybe they were just about to leave. Maybe as I am, they're at the end of a cold and they're coughing a lot and it really won't help them. You know, you never know what's going on in the environment and it's useful to try to figure it out rather than just jumping in with both feet. I love it. This has been sage advice as I knew that it would be. We are at time, but I've greatly enjoyed this. And as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guest a single question. That is, what is your biggest helping the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? There's almost always something you can do. We are rarely as trapped as we feel we are, even when there are structural problems. So taking the moment to be self-aware, to self-regulate, and then to think, what is the best thing I can do now? There's almost always something, even if it's deciding that you have to wait until a better opportunity. We are rarely powerless. I love it. 
Great stuff. Liz, where can people connect with you? My website is probably the best place. Uh, that's LizKislik.com. And I'm sure you'll put a link for the people who can't take it down right now. But I can also be found with regularity on LinkedIn and Twitter. Also with Liz Kislik as my handle. And you're absolutely right. We'll have everything Liz Kislik in the show notes for this episode at thedailyhelping.com, as well as in the Daily Helping app available on iTunes and Google Play. Dr. Richard, I have something to offer. Oh, please. Your listeners, if they'd like it. On my website, in addition to all kinds of material, blogs and stuff, there is an ebook free on how to resolve interpersonal conflict at work that may be helpful. I love it. I'll get the link from you offline and we'll link directly to that as well so people can download that straight away. Liz, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I greatly enjoyed it. Really happy to be with you, Dr. Richard. Thanks. Absolutely. And thanks to each and every one of you as well who chose to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 